Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. Um, and as I do every time I come on one of these podcasts, I thank my listening audience for without you and each and every one of you who have shared my podcast with others, uh, there would be no Inside Personal Growth. Um, we are pushing nine years with um, about 565 interviews done with authors from around the world on books in personal growth, wellness, spirituality. And today, joining me from the Berkeley area is Matthew McKay. And Matthew's new book is called Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth About Death and the Invisible Universe. Good day to you, Matthew. How are you? Hi, Greg. I'm glad to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure having you on. It's a pleasure having you on our show. Um, You have many other books. You've also co-authored another book called Thoughts and Feelings. And for those of you who want to learn more um, about this particular book, please go to www.seekingjordan.com. That's www.seekingjordan.com. And Matthew, I'm going to let my listeners know just a tad bit about you before we get started into the series of questions that I have for you. Uh, Matt's a clinical psychologist and a professor at the Wright Institute in Berkeley. Uh, He co-founded Haight-Ashbury Psychological Services in San Francisco in 79 and served as its clinical director for 25 years. Currently, he serves as the director of the Berkeley Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Clinic Um, books he has co-authored on professional and self-help psychology have sold more than 3 million copies. So it's a pleasure having you on today. And you know, Matt, um, this book is is really true, truly a very personal book, but at the same time, something that really thrust you into seeking um, an understanding about, you know, what happens after death. And Matt, uh, you lost Jordan in a violent act of murder. Um, And since the incident, you know, you've been seeking different ways to communicate with your son. And you dedicate the first four chapters of this book on ways in which you were looking at and journeying around and trying to find it. You went to Chicago to meet Alan Botkin. um, And he used something called induced after-death communications. What is it and how has it helped you to make a connection with Jordan? You you state in the book that you've made over 100 uh, connections with Jordan. Um, How did this particular technique uh, stack up to the others? Well, as you can imagine, after losing anyone that you love deeply, uh, there there's two things that you want to know. I mean, one is, is does that soul still exist? Are they still? Um, can you can they see you and still love you and care about you? And are they okay? Are they, you know? And and those were the as as with most people, I think those were the questions that I was struggling with. I went to Chicago to see Botkin because. He had stumbled on accidentally this technique. Um, he's a psychologist that uh, for many years worked at the VA and specialized in treating uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, for vets. 
Uh, and he used a technique uh, that I use with my own patients who have uh, trauma histories called EMDR, eye movement uh, desensitization and reprocessing. And it, it's a well-known technique that involves uh, following something with your eyes back and forth um, while visualizing the traumatic experience. Well, Botkin one day uh, made a, a small mistake in the protocol, and he, uh, a little variation uh, that he didn't even notice at the time. Uh, and this particular vet that he was working with was struggling with having lost uh, in Vietnam uh, this young girl that he'd befriended and really had taken care of and planned to adopt, and she had, she died uh, tragically there, and, and he had a great deal of grief. And Vodkin made this small alteration in the protocol, and suddenly the vet had this experience of seeing and hearing this young woman and having a direct communication with her. So uh, Alan Vodkin didn't know quite what to make of that. Um, he figured out what he had done differently, and he began to test it out on other vets. He didn't tell them what to expect. They just expected what EMDR usually does, some relief from trauma. Uh, but um, in 81 out of 83 cases where he, where he uh, tested this, uh, the vets uh, spontaneously experienced communication with someone they had loved and lost and had, had grief about the loss. And um, so it was, it, it was spectacularly successful, and uh, about 95% of the time, I don't think anybody knows for sure why it works, but it definitely does, and his, his study uh, was pretty dramatic. So I went to see him, my wife and I, and uh, he did the procedure on me. Now, I'm really familiar with EMDR, and I actually understand the, how he made this variant on the protocol. My wife, my wife didn't have the experience of hearing from Jordan, but I did. I had this experience of his voice in the room just as clear as, as someone, you and I are talking now. I mean, the voice was very, very um, real. Uh, seemed clearly outside of myself. And he said very specific things to me. He had messages for Judy, my wife, um, that were particular for her. Um, and the outcome of that communication was just one thing. I just felt oh, this kind of lighter feeling of uh, of those two questions being answered. What, did he exist? Yes, absolutely. Jordan was still around. He was still conscious of of us. Uh, he still loved us, and he, the other question: He was fine. He was happy. He was he was in a good place. Mm -hmm. So, so that was what what really was my first moment of actually having a communication with him after his death. Well, and you've had a hundred since, and you know you you mention in the book you state that our conscious mind really doesn't remember what the unconscious holds. Um, that all around us, the voices of the dead are speaking, but we're afraid because it's considered madness to listen. You've had a hundred of these conversations with Jordan. How are you reaching him now? In other words, how intuitive has it become to actually just, you know, get in a state of consciousness uh, where you can make this connection? Where how does he signal to you? that maybe he wants to tell you something. Well, after 
that experience of induced after-death communication, I was, you know, my first reaction was relief and, and lightness. And then after a while, I I wanted to have a, an actual conversation with Jordan where um, I could ask questions and he could answer them and um, we could we could, you know, just as we had done hundreds and hundreds of times around the kitchen table, actually, actually talk together. And so, um, I learned, uh, a different technique. Uh, it's called channeled writing. And this is channeled writing has been around really for several thousand years. I mean, there's evidence of it in ancient texts and, um, it, it really involves, uh, it was taught to me by a psychologist, Ralph Metzner, who specializes in um, in after-death communication. But, but it involves um, getting yourself in a place where you feel very grounded, um, a place that, that feels safe, that feels sort of connected to your your own history a little bit. Uh, so I use a, a desk that my folks gave me when I was a child. So I sit at that desk. The second thing you need is something uh, to focus your attention. And so I have a, a candle behind a blue glass mask that my daughter gave me and got from Mexico. And the next thing you need is um, an object that connects you to that, to that person you want to talk to. And so I use actually a little business card that Jordan made up uh, in high school that he says, Jordan McKay, uh, CEO, uh, Omega Technologies, which was a fictitious company, but he used to to get into (laughs) all these uh, uh, tech uh, uh, conventions, and uh, it was very useful for him, and he had a good time with it. Um, So I use that little card. It kind of reminds me of his humor and his audacity. And... um, then you need to have some way of getting into a very receptive state. And and there are different ways you can do it. The way I do it is it's just using you know, breath-focused meditation, a Vipassana meditation, where you just um, observe your breath, you count your out-breaths, uh, you keep your attention there. When a thought comes up, you notice there's a thought, but bring your attention back to the breath. And I just keep doing that until I feel that I'm I'm in a receptive state where I I'm I'm ready to uh, experience uh, Jordan. Um, at that point, um, you write out literally write out the question that you have. So you have something. I use a notebook and I just simply write out the question that uh, I want to begin the conversation with. And then you wait, and usually what happens is the for me often what happens is just a one word will show up. I'll I'll just get one word, and then very quickly from there the first sentence shows up. I write that down, uh, and then the whole flow starts. I I will just write down what I essentially am hearing, and I'm hearing it in my mind. I'm not hearing it as if if it's coming outside of me. I, I'm hearing the sentences. I write them down. It stops. I write down the next question, and I begin in the whole flow again from Jordan uh, starts. So it's it's a very simple process, and one of the things I'm I'm I would hope is that people who have a desire to kind of to communicate across the veil, uh, who have loved ones on the other side in spirit, uh, who want to talk to them. This is a, a way to do it, and it's not hard, and it's not complicated. 
Um, it's just those steps that I described and, and just being receptive and allowing those first words to show up in your mind and then just letting the sentence form and go from there. Um, so that's how I communicate with him now. Um, and for me, the, this process has been verified because I've consulted uh, mediums and so forth who don't know me, don't know Jordan, and and who have been able to actually um, give me more information about Jordan and this writing process, and in fact the book itself, um, and have verified that, uh, in fact, on the other side, he is engaged in this process with me. So it's it's been a lovely way to stay close to him, and I usually do it every week. Uh, I have a conversation. I just feels like a visit. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a really interesting way that channel writing, and it's obviously been a way that you've been able to connect. And I think sometimes people just have their own ways in which they're connecting with people, as you say, on the other side of the veil. And and sometimes people on the other side of the veil are sending us messages. And the key is to be fairly aware of that as well. And then what they're saying with those, you know, it's, uh, I just lost my mother a year ago. And, you know, I go to my car almost uh, daily, there's a penny by the door of my car. And, And so who knows, you know, but I, I have interpreted what that means, what she's trying to tell me. You've always had this deep understanding about death. I wouldn't say always, but you're a psychologist. You've dealt into this, at least during your professional year, uh, career. And you wrote a poem in the book uh, when, board, when Jordan was six years old about death. Um, what can you tell our listeners out there who are listening to us right now, Matt, and have just this huge fear um, about the process of dying or death? Well, the first thing that has become just so abundantly clear and that Jordan has said over and over again and that I've gotten to know very deeply um, is that death is just a is a minor event, really, in, in the life of a soul. And... Um, is very clear that we come back and have multiple lives. We we reincarnate, and death is merely a, a way of transitioning from the physical world to the spirit world. It is not tragic. Um, it is it is sometimes briefly a painful experience, but in terms of tragedy, it's not because we're all still together. We're all still connected by love, and whether we're on whatever side of the veil we're on, whether we're in in, in spirit or incarnate. We are all still deeply connected, and that's that's the, the thing that I've learned uh, fundamentally, and that um, nothing can break that. And the souls on the other side are very anxious to talk to us. They're very anxious to connect. And anybody who's ever consulted a medium knows this, that oftentimes it's, it's like being in a phone booth, and <clears throat> the other souls are just lined up with all kinds of things that they want to say. Um, and... And in fact, uh, the connection of love is still with us. And and we and these other souls, the souls on the other side, are just a thought away. They literally, as soon as we think of them, the channel can open. And if we believe we can listen, we can. Interesting. And and it is available for everybody. I think you know some people say, well, do you have to be psychic to have this happen? You don't. 
Um, you really just need to be open and aware uh, to allowing it to happen. Um, and I think what happens is people are even afraid to make that connection. Now in your book, uh, you have a chapter five and you call it the other side landing recovery and review. And Jordan has talked to you about this and you write a very descriptive account from what t- Jordan tells you about the landing. Um, and I'm going to actually ask you about all three of these stages as you describe them in the book. Can you tell us more about the landing and what Jordan experienced and what people can probably expect um, in this landing process. Now, again, there's three stages here, but let's just talk about this one initially. Well, typically, uh, from what I'm told, and also from what I've experienced when I've when I've done uh, past life regressions myself, um, <clears throat> is a landing place is constructed it's uh, it's uh, it's constructed out of energy to look familiar it looks like a place on earth um uh, oftentimes uh, in, in my experience it, look, it looks like a garden only with kind of surreally bright colors um you are often met by souls who you love on the other side you are you almost invariably met by guides who facilitate the process of the landing because people often feel disoriented. Um, now, you know, this whole thing in, in, um, in near-death experiences where people have the tunnel and the light and so forth, um, the, there is an experience of a very bright light. It, uh, again, surreally bright, beautiful colors and lights. And whatever you see is what you're familiar with. Um, whatever you know, the environment is that you love and that you've been drawn to on Earth. And, of course, souls incarnate on other planets, and so they have landing places that are um, constructed to look like uh, familiar and beautiful places from those uh, those areas, those planets. So the landing place is familiar. It's comfortable. We're met by people who we love, and we're carefully guided and very quickly made to know that what we see here is just energy, um, and it is uh, it is just there to comfort us. Within a fairly short period of time, soul is guided from the landing place uh, to the life review process because that's really uh, a crucial step in the afterlife. We have to go and look back on every, literally every detail of our experience in the most immediate past life. Um, and this is kind of a quiet place. It's a place of contemplation for, for me when I look at it. Uh, and as Jordan has described it to me, also, it's a place where people look like they're meditating or souls look like they're, they're in deep meditation. They're also being attended to by, other, by guides. But, the, but their main experience is that they're looking back on their life. And this is the thing that's really uh, very important about the life review. It's he said just, he did say something though that I wanted to say about that stage, and that was um, he said that during this review stage, it's important for the soul to be able to sit with failure in the same way meditators sit with physical discomfort or difficult emotions. Um, what what are you trying? What is he trying to tell the listeners there in this review stage? Well, 
we don't learn as much from our successes as we do from the things that don't work, the, the, the lessons we didn't learn in life. I mean, um, uh, you know, a, a, a life review is made up of many, many, many choices that we make, uh, you know, small, small and large choices. And some of these choices uh, go well and were wise and uh, led to, you know, good outcomes and, and, and were enhance the experience of love between souls on earth. And some of the choices were not wise and led to painful outcomes and were hurtful to others and, 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 and broke down the, the bonds of love. So part of the process is just observing every one of these large and small choices. But, but it's not just observing it like we have heard in the in the how your life flashes before your eyes and you and you see a, in in very rapid succession all these different events for your life. No, actually, it's a very very slow process. We look at each choice and and we look at it from a three sixty viewpoint, not just from our own experience of making the choice, but from the experience of every other soul around us at the moment of that choice and how it impacted each of those souls. The actual experience for them of our choice and not. Not only how it impacted them then, but uh, right. going into the future. Right. You, you know, Jordan said that souls in the, in the recovery stage, which was kind of skipped over, but he said that souls may have unresolved emotions or fear, anger, or shame that would physically pollute the life between lives if they didn't have the recovery stage to process that. What What's your understanding of that recovery state? Because he's basically saying, you know, you're coming in here with anger, uh, fear, shame, and psychically pollute the life between lives. Um, That's an interesting statement, actually. Well, sometimes souls don't even know they're dead for a little while. They really are in a state of agitation. Particularly souls who don't believe in an afterlife, so they they can't they, they don't get it. Well, you know, where am I? What, what's right. going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, but souls often uh, in, in in a particular life may have had um, uh, very strong reactions and feelings. Of, they they may may have struggled with anger in that life. They may have people they've hated. They they may have in, engaged in hostile or cruel activities. Um, they may have uh, had deep sadness and, 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 and depression and so forth. So they come into the afterlife with re- residuals of that pain. Um, and, and, and the soul energy is, is, while it's not permanently damaged by that pain, it is it is impacted for a period of time. And so souls go to a place of recovery where um, guides and masters really help um, soothe them, essentially, um, and orient them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to to get reoriented to wait a minute, this this is, you're not in 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 a body anymore. You you don't have a nervous system. Let's get used to 
uh, have it being in spirit where you again you see 360 you don't you don't just see out of the front of your eyes but you you actually see all around you you hear all around you, you information comes to you telepathically instead of through sound I mean there's a lot to get used to so they're <clears throat> getting used to this uh, experience of, of being out of body and also uh, working through some of some of these last painful emotions and, and trauma they, they may have significant trauma uh, a lot of souls for example who die in the midst of, of war uh, uh, are, are showing up in the afterlife still with with res- these residuals of trauma, and again, they need to to be soothed in this uh, place of recovery. So yes, that's one of the stages. Not all souls go to the recovery place. Not all souls need that, but the souls that do will spend enough time to uh, to get quiet and 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 feel uh, used to being in spirit, uh, and then they can move on to do life review and and rejoin their soul group and so forth. But but initially, it's 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 all about soothing and mm-hmm. and energy repair. And and I know that Jordan had a girlfriend, and I know that um, it, it was um, messages that you basically uh, needed to provide. What what was kind of the message there? What were you trying to help her with in this process of of coping with Jordan's death? Like it was a it was a murder. It wasn't. Uh, uh, something that was expected. Uh, there was obviously a lot of grief in your family. And um, how did all of you, as an immediate family, um, deal with that? I know you, in particular, had this great understanding of what was going on, uh, and you've gotten more since his death. But um, how have the other souls that are still incarnate in this physical plane? Uh, how did they deal with it? Well, almost immediately, Jordan started sending messages to people who are receptive. Now, one of the kind of the painful paradoxes of of loss is that the people who often are in deepest grief and also need to hear from the soul on the other side, the grief actually blocks the channel. You, Correct. You, you, you have a hard time really hearing because you're so roiled with with pain and sadness that uh, it really does get in the way of of communication from the other side. So it, right initially, all the communications were coming through other people. Um, so anybody who is uh, at all uh, open to those communications begins to get them. And one of the things that we noticed is that, I mean, there was a flood of communication right after Jordan's death. And um, uh, his sister's uh, dear friend was was one of the people that was getting communications from him right away within a, within a, a, a day or two, uh, and she had a lot of communication for his girlfriend. Uh, she was getting direct messages from him, literally, you know, word for word, and uh, she wrote letters. Uh, to, to Jordan's girlfriend Lisa, and and provided her very specific information of what Jordan wanted her to know, and in fact, even went so far as directing her to a place in her house where they where she had a, some objects that she and Jordan had, had gathered on a beach somewhere, and and instructed him to use one of the objects as a keepsake to to remind and connect. Uh, to him. So all of this information was coming in very rapidly. Judy and I were getting nothing. I mean, we were, I mean, spiritually speaking, stone deaf. We yeah. just couldn't hear anything. But but what we did t- do is encourage people, and I, I 
want, I think, your listeners to know that after losing someone, they are very interested in con- communicating. They may not be able to communicate to you because your pain may be such that it kind of blocks the, the channel. But there are people who will get the messages and encourage people in your family, your friends, friends of friends, anybody you know who is getting messages um, to be to to keep them, to record them, uh, write them down, and can communicate them to you. And we really gathered, you know, dozens of them uh, over the course of uh, first year or two after Jordan died from other people. So I think that's that's something that that's tremendously valuable, uh, and it will happen. People will have dreams that are vivid. People will uh, have have a sense of that loved one, their presence. Uh, so in, encourage friends and family to. To, uh, to write all that down. So let me ask you a question, because I think for people that have lost people in a traumatic way like Jordan, um, you've always you've obviously had to deal with the other souls who committed this act of crime and murdered your son. And there were, I think, three gentlemen that uh, confronted him on his bicycle, if I remember correct. Um, how are you guys coping with that and what could you tell others out there that are listening have gone through this similar process um the soul's encounter meaning the encounter of those guys with your son and the master plan because you seem like the kind of gentleman who might have some good explanation for that well people have different relationships to um, human justice, and um, uh, I, you know, I, the, the people that committed that crime have never come to justice. They're they've not been caught, although uh, the police have a sense of who they are, but there's just not enough evidence. I, I personally feel convinced that uh, karma is really the ultimate source of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the balancing of things. I mean, karma is really our lesson plan. We come uh, and reincarnate in each life, and the, and and karma is just the lesson plan we come to. The things that we're coming here to learn in this particular life, um, and uh, the souls that were responsible for Jordan's death, um, they are in a. They are definitely having lessons that they're learning from this because it's having huge impact on their life. Jordan has been very clear about that. He says, basically, don't worry about whether they're caught or not. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, they are learning from this experience. Uh, he's indicated that the, the person who actually shot him was had, had some, he knew in another life, there was, there's a relationship in another life that was playing out uh, in this last moment of, of his life here. Um, with us. So, I mean, I think uh, my understanding of this is that the lessons go on. We can't stop learning. And these men who committed this act are continuing to learn what what violence does to the soul, what it does to to one's relationships, um, and, and how one's life is shaped and distorted uh, by by violent acts, those lessons are already being learned, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like it's necessary for the police to step in. Uh, they are learning those lessons, and they will learn them in this life. And if they don't finish learning them in this life, they'll learn it in the next or the next. Right. And so th- these lessons go on until, and that's what the law of karma is. Is basically is, is just it's just the 
the lesson will go on until we've learned it, and then we can move on to the next thing we're learning. But uh, this particular lesson is is something they're they're having to learn. Well, you you really state that in kind of this. You make a statement in the book. You said death death isn't bad luck because there's no difference between the living and the dead. The one in the coffin is doing the same thing as the one that's grieving at the pew, loving and learning. What what would you leave our listeners with? I mean, you've talked a lot about learning, the lessons that we have to learn. But what can you tell those listeners out there about this incarnation um, that we're having here in this fiscal plane today? And the importance of understanding all these lessons and our our ability to overcome anger with another by loving. I think we are in each incarnation, and this one right now, we are all sharing in this conversation today. In each incarnation, we are here with a life purpose. And that life purpose is 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 to learn something. There are certain things we're here to learn, and there are certain things that we are also here to do. Uh, and 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 that's that's our life purpose. And and a lot of our work in in a, in a, in this life is to figure out what that life purpose is. Mm-hmm. To really try to pay to pay attention and understand what am I what am I here to learn here? What am I you know what wisdom is there for me in this experience and and what is it that i need to do in a general sense our work always is to learn how to love in the face of pain i mean that's the, that's the ultimate process that we're engaged in here we're learning how to love in a very difficult place, in a place that makes love hard, and in a place where we have so much pain that often gets in the way of love. Uh, and we all know that. We all know how often pain and, and pain, difficult emotions get in the way of our, our being loving to the souls we care for. But that ultimately is, is a lot of what our work is. Love is very easy in the afterlife. It's effortless. Uh, we come here, actually, to, to in a place that's so difficult and so full of pain, to learn how to love when there is pain, and and so that's our work. That's what we're doing, and and to stay conscious of our life purpose and our reason for being here is, in my mind, the the, the most important thing we can do. Uh, uh, and and also when we face losses, okay, let me, in the middle in the midst of this pain. How can I still be loving? Not only to to the the people that that are still in, in embodied around me, but also how can I still be loving to that person who's now on the other side? Very, very well said, Matthew. And um, for my listeners, you're also working on an eight week spiritual growth program with Jordan from the other side. Um, yes. Are you? Is that coming along pretty good? Yeah, he's helping me design it. Uh, we're going to start uh, starting a trauma clinic here in Berkeley for folks who have post-traumatic stress disorder, and and we're going to start using that um, in the fall. We're trying to start testing this uh, pro- this process, uh, the spiritual development process that Jordan's uh, essentially created for me. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it works. But it, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun working on this project with him. Well. Uh, Matt, what a great opportunity you've given our listeners to understand a little bit more deeply um, 
about the life hereafter. Uh, this one, reincarnation, the process of uh, death and dying, and the ability to communicate with souls on the other side, and especially uh, with your son, Jordan. I so appreciate having you on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with my listeners. Uh, for my listeners, uh, you can learn more about this book at www.seeking, S-E-E-K-I-N-G, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N.com. Um, he's also got some videos uh, that have been posted about the book um, at the author's website, which is seekingjordan.com uh, as well. Those uh, web, There's some video interviews up there um, with Matt. And any place else you want to send them to give them more uh, information about this? Well, they, they certainly can go there. And, of course, the book is available in all the usual places. But uh, I appreciate everyone listening and uh, if anyone is struggling with grief, um, I I hope that they can take heed and, and realize that uh, their loved one is just a thought away. And thank you, Greg, for having me on. Mm-hmm.